Um, we are in part two of our series of the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. And we, last week we looked at um, what it means to have God as our Father, that he is infinitely powerful and yet intensely personal Father. And tonight we have Colin. If we could give Colin, show your appreciation for Colin, who's so amazing. We're on to the next bit of the holiness. Holy is your name. And before Colin preaches, we are just going to pray for him. If you could extend your hands out to Colin, who's such an amazing guy. Lord, I just thank you so much for this amazing young man who you have gifted so much with the preaching of your word. And so God, tonight, as he has wrestled with this message and what it means about your holiness, God, I know it's a word from you. And so God, I just pray that you would speak through him. Holy Spirit, use it. Um, may a seed be planted in us, and may we never see you the same again. Bless him, bless his family, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Monica. Kia ora, everyone. How's it going? Um, yes, yeah, so like Monica wonderfully explained, we are going through the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, um, arguably one of the most famous prayers, if not the most famous prayer that we have in our repertoire. And we're going through it just because there's so much richness in it. And some of us have just said it for years and years, and we never think about it. And some of us might not have ever actually learned it. So we thought this is just such a wonderful opportunity for us to gather around this very basic prayer that Jesus taught us how to pray. And so tonight, we're jumping into this line, hallowed be your name. But before we get into that, I need to uh, give a few apologies. Um, sometimes Christians talk weird, A. Eh? Sometimes we say a lot of weird things. Am I the only one who thinks that? Anyone been in a prayer meeting where someone prayed for a hedge of protection? Yes. That's right, Darren. And I remember, like, I know it. So Christians will pray this, and it's usually we, what we mean by it is we pray that God, you'd protect them in whatever circumstance they're in. And I know it's taken from, like, some obscure passage in the Old Testament. And I know it's kind of cool because you're quoting scripture. But I can't help whenever I think that that is just the weirdest thing to pray. Like, in the world of reinforced concrete and steel, we're going to get a hedge. Like, that's the best God can do is a hedge. Um, another weird thing that Christians always say is, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, uh, but back when I was in Wyoming, they said it a lot of time. It was this phrase of, uh, love on you. Anyone ever heard that phrase? Like, oh, we met some people and we met, you know, we were at a small group and some people came in and they didn't know anyone. So we just loved on them and it was great. And I know what they mean, but it still makes me feel really uncomfortable and I don't want anyone to do it to me. And I feel weird that we're doing it at small groups. It's, it's sometimes Christians, we say weird things. And so when we get to this word, hallowed, it's a word we never, has anyone dropped this word in casual conversation? No one. Okay. I was like, wow, one person's going to be really holy if he does. Uh, no, so hallowed, it's this weird word that we don't often use, but we repeat it every time that we pray. And we kind of assume that we know what it means, but we're also kind of like, I hope it means something. And so really, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is kind of like a verb of holy. So it's this idea of uh, holy is your name or God, may the whole world know that your name is holy. It's a, it's a descriptive term. So when we think hallowed be your name, it's we want your name to be seen as holy. But that doesn't really solve the issue for us, does it really? Because holiness, as I was thinking about it this week, holiness is one of those words that we say that we know what it means, but I reckon we have no idea what it means. I had no idea 
what it means. I'm just putting it out there. Does anyone, I just, I'd love some feedback. Can you shout it? Anyone have an idea of what holy means? Just shout it out. It's okay. I won't shame you. Just a little bit. Follow it. <laughs> That's what you get with a theology degree, folks. Um, anyone else got an idea of what holy means? Separated. Yeah. Anyone else got an idea? Pure. Yeah. Sacred. What's sacred mean? Tapu. <laughs> Maori, you're getting off on this one. Tapu, I've got it. Easy. Um, yeah, holy, it's this word that we use all the time, but I think when we think about it, it can be sometimes confusing. Is it, is it separated? Does it mean pure? And if holiness means pure, then how is, is there any difference? Do they, are they basically just saying the same thing? And if holiness means pure, then if we say God is holy, but God is also righteous, what's the difference between God's righteousness and God's holiness? And can God, can something be both righteous and holy? Could something be unrighteous, but holy? Could something be impure, but holy? Or does everything pure mean holy? Can you have something that's holy that's not pure and vice versa? It's this word that the more I got through it, I was like, what? What does this mean? And so we had someone who jumped in really early on, which answers it kind of, but I don't think particularly well. It's this idea, holy means uh, consecrated or set apart or different. Which is funny, because that actually doesn't have any purity connotations to it, really, in its sense. It just means something that you've, that is now holy. Right? So it's an odd, it's an odd, odd thing. And the more we think about holy, it, I think we have one main connotation that usually comes to mind. And it's this idea of being set apart from which to me is kind of embodied in this. You've got this pure white canvas that is away from all the paints. It's away from all the colors. It's before anything has like defaced it or made an image on it. This is set apart. It's clean. It's pure. It's holy. And when we think about God, we often think about God in those terms. We think of God as the sinless one, the holy one, the one who is set apart from sin. And we've got all these kind of words that we use around it. So in the Old Testament, if you read through a lot of the Old Testament scriptures, you'll see a lot of this kind of imagery for God. So in the Old Testament, the Israel had this tabernacle. It was kind of like their place of worship. And inside, at the very center of this tabernacle, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, or the Most Holy Place. And it was such a sacred place, you just didn't go in there often. And if a priest was going to go in there and offer some sort of prayers or thanks or incense or something to God, he had to go through this huge uh, process of purification, right? So he had to go through and he had to get washed. He had to get blood put on different parts of his ears, his thumbs, his big toe, which is kind of weird, I know, but that was what they went through. And they went through this huge process to try and make sure that he was cleansed because the holy place was set apart from the sinfulness of the town, from the dirtiness of a camp, from the, from the sinfulness and the awfulness of all the Israelites and all the bad things that they'd done. The holy of holies was separate from that. And it was so holy that often, even when the priest would go in, he would go in with bells on his feet and a, a rope tied around his waist so that if he hadn't done anything properly and he died in the presence of the holiness, the pure holiness of God, they'd be able to hear it and basically drag him out which is a little bit weird, eh? It's true. <laughs> Thank you. It is true. There's this huge, strong idea of holiness is this idea of set apart from. When we look at the Old Testament, we get that image of God. So it's God in his bigness, God in his 
greatness. So when we're praying the Lord's Prayer, often I think that's the image that comes to mind when we think of holy is your name, a God who is set apart from things, a God who is away from sin, a God who is pure, white, and clean, while the rest of us are dirty, tainted sinners, right? And then there's this huge passage, too, in a, that all of Israel lived by, and it shows up again in the New Testament. It was this command that God gave to Israel, saying, be holy as I am holy, which ended up being this huge story that Israel tried to live out over and over again. How do they live this idea of set-apartness, this taking a step back from in order to live a pure or a sacred life? And often that idea will carry through when we think about spirituality or when we talk about Christian holiness, that's often the image that will come to mind. So, I mean, one of the things that would always happen to me, um, when I was a teenager, this might not be for you, but when I was a teenager, you'd go through like the Christian camps, like Easter camp or something similar, where everyone would gather together and there'd be some amazing preacher and you'd get all on fire about God and he would talk about holiness. And it became this process that I feel like every one of us went through where so convicted of the holiness of God, as soon as camp was done, we went back home and we took all of our non-Christian CDs and we either burned them or broke them. Anyone ever do that? Anyone else? Yes, Monica, thank you. I'm glad. I'm... There we go. There's a few of us. It was a process that we often went through, right? Because God is holy, so I'm going to take all the unholy things, which usually happened to be music because that was popular at the time, and we'd get rid of it to separate ourselves off from that. Now, it's always funny to me because I feel like every single person I know who's done that, usually within five years, has built up all their collection of CDs again, as I would be one of those as well. Um, or another thing that you end up is this idea of like personal holiness. So it's getting away in the morning and praying and going through your sins and repenting of your sins. And then it's this idea of you don't go to sinful places. Again, when I grew up, you wouldn't go anywhere that was considered sinful. Uh, you'd often be told, don't go hang out with the bad kids because they're bad and they're sinful and you're a good Christian kid, so you should stay in the good Christian camp. And then this became true as an adult. So in my upbringing, you would never go to a bar, you'd never go to a club, you'd never, um, for my mom, when she grew up, she could never go to the movie theater uh, because that was considered a sinful holy place. So we try to separate ourselves off from that. And even churches end up doing this. I've been at churches where pastors so um, filled up with the idea of the holiness of God that when someone would walk in who was not dressed very well or who was drunk or who'd been sleeping on the streets, they would often quietly go up and tap them on the shoulder and say, I'm sorry, this is, this is a holy place. We need you to go back and either get changed or take a shower because we're meeting with a holy God here and you need to present yourself as holy before him. These are the things that rumble around in our heads when we think about holiness. And some of it is great because we think of God as great and big, but then when we try to carry it out, if we try to embody it, it can kind of lead us into some odd directions. And if we just read the Old Testament, and if we just looked at a few scriptures in the Old Testament, we'd probably be okay of thinking of God's holiness just like that. But there's one main problem with that, and it's this guy. When you think about the New Testament and all the stories you had heard about Jesus, there was one group that was probably the best and most efficient at understanding God's holiness in these terms and wanting to stay separate from unbelievers, separate from Gentiles, separate from sinners. And that group was the Pharisees. 
They understood the ritual purity laws. They understood what was right to do. And so there was this common thing where everyone knew if you were a Pharisee or if you were in a position of authority or if you were in like that good spot, then you couldn't go around and just eat with whoever. Because if you just ate with sinners, if you ate with tax collectors, if you ate with prostitutes, you're now saying you're mixing the holy and the unholy. You're mixing the pure and the impure, and you're now insulting the character of God. So Pharisees would do so well of that before anyone could come and eat with them, before anyone could come to the temple, they had to be ritually pure. They had to have a life right and honoring before God. But then along comes this young rabbi who seems to buck all of the trends. And you can read about it in Matthew, 19, Matthew 9. There's this wonderful story where Jesus goes and he finds a tax collector named Levi who's kind of stuck in between worlds in a difficult place and his job is known for abusing and taking more than it needs to for his own personal profit and gain. And you find Jesus come up to Levi, an unholy, impure sinner. And Jesus says, come, let me eat with you. And so Jesus goes and he sits down at this table. And at the table, you've got Levi, you've got tax collectors, you've got prostitutes, you have women, you have this table that was everything that was imagined to be unholy. And right there in the thick of it is Jesus. And what you see in Jesus is he begins to redefine what holiness looks like. He begins to rejig how we understood holiness because for most of the Pharisees and for many of us, we think of God's holiness like this, something that we have to keep it away from. Our holiness needs to stay away from sin because sin could taint our holiness and make us unholy. It could make us impure. But instead, what you see in Jesus is a holiness that doesn't pull away from but moves towards. A holiness that grabs people around them and rather than being tainted by their sin, a holiness that makes the unholy holy, rather than the other way around. And then you've got this moment here. Now, we can become really comfortable with this because we see this sign, we see this image all the time, everywhere. It's a cross, it's a symbol of our faith, but we have to keep looking at it with fresh eyes and realizing that this was the most unholy thing anyone could ever think of. This was the most shameful thing you could ever be attached to no Roman, no Jew, no Greek, no self-respecting person would ever want to be identified with that because it was unholy, impure, and awful. But here's the beauty of Jesus. In Jesus, we see the perfect reflection of God. Everything who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see perfectly in Jesus Christ. And what's so marvelous is that God's holiness is seen most here, not here, the most holy place we can ever see God is him hanging on a cross. The moment when all sin comes upon him, when he is surrounded by all of our sin and our wickedness and our death, all of eternity coming and collapsing upon this one moment in the midst of sin, we see the most holy moment of God. Because we begin to see God's holiness take this place and then spread out across the entire world, across eternity. In this one moment, God's holiness made all of us holy. It's
It's a holiness that doesn't return from. It's a holiness that doesn't pull back. It's a holiness that isn't afraid of being contaminated, but it's a holiness that is infectious, that spreads outward, that embraces those who are unholy and makes them holy. See, we think of holiness in terms of set apart from. But when we pray this prayer, we need to think of a God who's not retreating from us, trying to preserve his holiness. Instead, we see a God who is set apart for. For humanity, for our redemption, for our lives. God's holiness is seen most perfectly in his willingness to, self, to give himself up as an offering for us. God's holiness is his choosing to be for us. God's holiness is his choice to be for us and accomplish his mission throughout the entire world. Whew. I'm sorry, that was a lot of theology to get through. It's a lot to think through, but there's a reason why this matters. We can sit back and be like, okay, cool, I'll think of God's holiness in terms of Jesus on the cross rather than that. But if we don't think it through, if we only think of God's holiness like this, when we come to this prayer, how easy it for us to see. We say, God, holy is your name. God, you are holy. Oh, God, you, you, oh, you pull away from my sin. God, how can I pray to you when I'm so stuck in all the sin I'm stuck in? God, I'm so impure, I'm so broken, I'm so not who you called me to be. How can I even come to you who is so holy, so far separated from anything I am, so different from anything I can imagine? How often do we pray like that? How often when you're stuck in the midst of sin, when you've done that thing over and over and over again, and you're sitting in your room, rethinking over in your life, and you think, oh, how do I pray? How do I come to God? How often do we think, oh, I just need to get it right before I go to him? Because God is really holy and I need to be holy in order to come to him. Because we think of God as separated from us instead of a God who is for us. Truth is, if we only think of God's holiness in separation from, then there's one group that are doing it most efficiently who are living that call to be holy as God is holy more efficiently than any of us, and it's our friends down the street at the Exclusive Brethren. People who realize that God's holiness needs to be separate from all of sin, so they remove themselves from the entire world. And if there's breakdown in relationship, then they cut themselves off from relationship. Their life is a life separate from. It's the fully, fullest embodiment of this idea of holiness but it doesn't reflect Jesus on the cross. It doesn't reflect him coming to choose to be for us. And when we understand God's holiness this way, then it's infectious and powerful and it's transforming and it makes everything different. Um, before I was a pastor here, most of you probably know I was in a band in the UK and we played shows in bars and a lot of those bars would be considered incredibly unholy places. Um, like, I was a good Christian kid, and it's really awkward when you walk into a bar and you're like, oh, that's a naked lady painted on a wall. Oh, okay, cool. You know, it's, it's, I'd live this good Christian reserved, pulled away, separate from life, and then I go into a place from like, oh, okay, they're doing cocaine in the bathroom. Oh, yay. You know, that was my whole life. I'd lived a whole life separate from trying to pull myself back. But what happened is we played these songs 
There was one song in particular. So we were a band that just wrote all kinds of music. We weren't great at writing worship music that we'd write, uh, that you'd sing here at church. It's actually really hard to write these kind of songs. And so we were like, nah, you can't be bothered. Plus we wanted to go play shows in bars and we thought worship songs would be weird. So instead we just wrote our own music, but we wrote one song, which was probably our best or closest attempt at what would be called a worship song. And it only had like a few lyrics. Um, the lyrics were, it is you, you make me sing. It is you, only you. Now, I know that sounds boring, but we had all kinds of musical movements and we had a whole bunch of instruments to make it more exciting. But those were the simplest form of the words. And for us, it was our, heart our heartfelt declaration of God, this is why we're doing everything that we're doing. It's you. You're the one that makes us sing. You're the one that has called us to be here. You're the one that is lifting us forward to take your name into all these different places. It is you and only you. As a band, you are the one we are singing for and performing for. It was our closest attempt at a worship song. And for me, it was one of the most special songs we would ever sing. Because in these bars, right, it would be, you know, like the whole night would be crazy. People would get into fights. People would be shouting. No one would pay attention. And so often for this one song, it was so special for many of us, we would play this song. And because it was so simple and it had a few whoa, woes, it always seemed to catch the crowd. You know, and it always seemed to pull people in and draw them in where they, in a way they kind of joined in. And it was just amazing to see the song that just transformed a space. And as we sang it, we get all these people joining in and singing in. And by the end of the song, you'd have all the guys at the bar lifting their pipes like, oh, oh, it is you. You know, like we'd have this whole, all these people coming in and singing and praising. And to me, one of the most spectacular things that happened is how God's presence filled that place. How his holiness transformed that room. A place that has pornography on the walls, where people are doing cocaine, in the bathrooms, a place that by anyone else's consideration would be unholy. And there, in that place, we find the holy presence of God transforming it and filling it with his presence, with his glory, with his fame, it's a holiness that is for his people. It's a holiness that calls us towards one another, not separate from one another. It's a holiness that binds us together in love and community. And when God says, be holy as I am holy, it's not be perfect. It's be set apart for the mission that I have called you for. Be as Christ on the cross as I was on the cross. Pick up your cross and follow him daily. That is the call of holiness that God embodies and lives. And that is the holiness that he calls us to. And that's a holiness that has power to transform our lives and the world because it is infectious. It takes the impure things, it takes the unholy things, and it makes them holy. Not because of what they are, but because of who he is and we are called to live in that. Be holy as he is holy. Live a life of the cross, participating in his mission for the world as he bore the cross, reaching out to the world. And so when we pray this prayer, that's what I hope we think of. A God who is for us. A God whose holiness transforms us and the entire world, a God who is not far or separate from us, but a God who took all of us into himself.
and with loves calls us forward. If I can invite the team back up, we're just going to sing one more song of praise and worship. And now hear me out what I'm saying. This doesn't mean that sin is okay. This doesn't mean we just get to do whatever we want. No, far from it. Because sin inhibits our ability to embody this lifestyle. It pulls us back from the good that God is calling us towards. But the beauty of this image of holiness is that God's holiness still can transform the sin within us. It doesn't pull away from the sin within us. It transforms us into his image. And that's a calling and a mission I hope that we can all participate in. And so as we pray that prayer, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. You are the Holy One who is close to us, who took up a cross, took up our very brokenness and our very selves and draws it into you. You are a Holy One whose holiness moves from forward from himself to transform us into Holy Ones. You are the one who has set apart for us and you call us to be set apart for one another. When we say God is holy, that is what we mean. Let's stand and pray. God, it's hard to understand you sometimes because you are so different than anything we ever expected. Just as the Pharisees were dumbstruck as you went out and sat with sinners, tax collectors, as they were dumbstruck as your holiness seemed to just change and reshape God, often we need to change and reshape our images of you. Because truth is sometimes we find comfort in legalism we find comfort in being able to pull away from, but God, you are always moving forward. You are calling us forward in Christ. God, your mission is spreading out all over this entire world and you are drawing everyone unto yourself, whether they be holy or unholy. Lord, when we think about your holiness, help us to think about you, Jesus. The Jesus who walked amongst us, the Jesus who understood our pain and our suffering, the Jesus who himself bore it on a cross, bore the very worst that we had to offer, but now the Jesus whose holiness moves forward to transform us so that we do not stay in the trappings of sin, so that we don't stay in that place of brokenness, but you call us out, you set us apart for your kingdom, for your world. Lord, help us to see you that way and help us to be holy as you are holy. Call us out for your mission and for your kingdom.